Welcome to College Counterpoints. My name is Gary Stalker, and I'm joined with joined by Joseph Pellerito as we talk about all sorts of college topics. We take positions, we take sides, we entertain, we educate. And Joseph, today, first of all, welcome back. Thank you, Gary. It's good to be back. And and second, we've got three topics on our agenda today. Let me just lay those out in advance. We're going to talk about accreditation. Joseph thinks it's a really good thing. I may have some concerns. We're going to talk about free college for all. And we have a story that has been getting a lot of play this week about Western Oregon University won't continue to award Ds and Fs in their students, and we'll talk about that as well. And Joseph, accreditation, good thing, bad thing. Well, you know, Gary, I've worked with accreditors for years, and I've got to tell you, I know it's not a perfect scenario, but all in all, accreditation agencies, for example, the Accreditation Council for Occupational Therapy Education, or ACOT, they play a huge and important role in higher ed. Well, okay. And, and you know, I'm a gentle and kind human being, and I don't like to take issue with anybody. Sarcastically, <laughs> he says. Yes. In my mind, the, the accrediting agencies, they're not really much more than I-dotters and T-crossers. They don't Ouch. really address the financial portion of the viability of colleges. Well, I can tell you firsthand, Gary, accreditors help ensure, for example, quality and programmatic excellence. You know, picture this a world where, for example, every occupational therapy program, to put it into context, operates at peak excellence. What does that mean? Well, it's not just an ideal. It's what accreditation agencies make a reality. These folks are essentially guardians of the standards and frankly, the unsung heroes ensuring that, you know, when it comes to preparing our students, for example, to go out and make a difference in the world, one patient at a time, accreditors help us as educators say, hey, are we achieving excellence in terms of what we're teaching students? And they use that as a way to ensure quality from program to program. I'm a big believer in accreditation, and I think it's a, it's a necessary process. So peak excellence is the word, is the phrase you just used a minute ago. And <laughs> there are countless stories of private colleges in, in the United States, I'm just focusing on private colleges, who can't rub two nickels together to maintain any semblance of financial health and viability. How in the world can an accrediting agency think that kind of college can, to use your term, come anywhere close to peak excellence when they can't keep the boilers running, they can't keep the air conditioners going because no, they don't I, have to do that. I get that. I get that argument, Gary. But you know, profitability is a really it's a it's a it's another discussion. What accreditors are primarily focused on is the quality of education, and you know whether or not a college is profitable or not may or may not correlate with the quality of programming that they're offering. In other words, you know, accreditors really help promote and maintain our trust, the public's trust in institutions, because, you know, uh, you've got to imagine, for example, someone entrusting their health in a therapist's hands. Well, how do we prepare students to go out and provide the kinds of excellence, evidence-based, efficacious care? If we don't have some kind of standards, we need an oversight and the oversight comes from the accreditors. It's about quality programming, not so much profitability. 
I had the chance to see three high-level college basketball games and one NBA game last week. And there are these people at these games called referees. And the referees in all of these sporting events don't really have a vested interest in the outcome, although some may think otherwise. But that's not really what we have with these accrediting agencies because they have a, a, a serious vested interest. Their revenue stream comes from the colleges they evaluate. Their revenue stream True. comes from the colleges they accredit. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's a conflict of interest. Does it does that actually happen? Eh. I'm hard-pressed to say I can document that it happens, but the risk is there for obvious reasons. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, boy, I, I was missing that cynicism, and there it is. I'm glad to see that it's alive and well. You know, I kind of, I'm not so cynical, uh, Gary, I have to say, and at the risk of so- sounding Pollyannish, I think our colleagues who are in the accreditation world are professionals. They're not going to necessarily put their own um, economic needs above what they know to be true. You know, in other words, they're about really pushing educational programs to innovate, adapt, and excel. Uh, it's important for education programs to keep up with cutting edge advancements. And so how do we do that? Well, standards, educational standards, and the processes that accreditors put in place help ensure that programs don't run amok or run afoul of that. You know, I can tell you, they press us to be better. They press us, they hold the line, they hold the bar, and it's usually a pretty high standard. So no, I think I think in reality, um, accreditors help basically ensure that programs are meeting those uh, those expectations. And without the accreditors, I'm not sure how we're going to ensure excellence in that regard. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little emotionally distressed. You <laughs> suggested, you suggested accurately or otherwise that I might be cynical. Um, not the first time, probably not the last time that that's going to happen, but let's take, let's step away from the higher education model before we move on to the next topic. And let's, that's what markets are for. There are not there are safety agencies for cars and computers and houses and that kind of stuff. But there's nobody that accredits that a Ford is better than a Toyota or a Honda. The market determines what is better or worse. And so we have these vested interest organizations, and I'll grant you the point that they are professionals, no question. But the challenge they face is if they if if they don't give accreditation to most, if not all their colleges, the revenue source is at risk and, and Hey, we're humans. At some point, that has to cross their mind. Joseph, free college. It was in the news almost every day. Uh, and, and before I give you a chance to comment on what you're probably wrong about, is first of all, free college for all is, is a misnomer. There really is no such thing as free college for all. It's heavily subsidized college for some. Joseph? Well, you know, Gary, uh free college. Right now, society, the U.S., believes that education is efficacious. It's important for all children, for example, to attend school. We expect children to attend school. Why should that end after high school? You know, education essentially is a fundamental right, and it should be a right beyond high school. Just like access to accessible, affordable health care. Now, that's another conversation, but hey, 
it fosters lifelong opportunities. We know that education does. And Gary, think about the doors that education opens, not just job opportunities, but really pathways to personal growth and enlightenment. I believe in that. So by capping education at high school and simply saying, well, we're going to go to a free market model at that point, you know, a lot of people get left behind. And so pathways such as uh, trade schools are outstanding, community colleges, but also four-year institutions, bachelor's degrees and universities, colleges, et cetera, should be accessible to everybody. And I, for one, as a taxpayer, would be willing to help subsidize that because I believe in it. I believe that it shouldn't be a luxury to attend school. It should be a, it should be a simple, fundamental right. One of the precious few things that my late mother-in-law shared that has had value for me is you get what you pay for. Absolutely. We have, you know, we're talking into microphones, we have computer monitors, we have computers, we have phones. We paid for those and we got what we paid for. But we spent a lot of money or a little bit of money. And if everybody got, I use this microphone because it's kind of an inert object here. Everybody got a free microphone or a heavily subsidized microphone to be more accurate. What value are they going to place on each and every one of those items when they have no financial or proverbial skin in the game? And where does it stop? You know, you mentioned that healthcare as a right. Well, maybe education as a right. Yeah, arguable on both sides. If I don't have a vested interest, I get and you that. Give me every yeah, microphone you know, that's out there, yeah. and you give me every microphone that's out there, Joseph right. has no value. Right. You know, you can lead a horse to water, right, Gary? I hear you saying that, and I agree with that, but you can't make them drink. I'm talking about people that want to be educated, that want to improve their lives, that want to improve the lives of their families, and they want to be able to contribute in some meaningful way and find a career, not just a job at Starbucks. Not that there's anything wrong with that. So education one of the benefits is that it's an engine of economic prosperity, not only for individuals, but society in general. We invest time and money in individuals. We will have a return on that investment, undoubtedly. So here's an economic truth. The strength of a nation's workforce is directly tied to the level of its education. That's very clear. Higher education isn't just a personal benefit. It's a national asset. So we need to breed a workforce that's skilled, adaptable, and ready to lead. And so education is a powerful way to do that. I'm all in on doing what I can to, for example, support the notion of national defense. Well, we pay taxes for our military, and I love our military. Why should I feel any less passionate about supporting a model that enables people who want to become educated? to be educated. I'm not talking about forcing anyone or, you know, expecting people that don't have, as you would say, skin in the game to somehow magically find that, uh, that impetus to do what they need to do. But I'm talking about the men and women that are out there that are hungry to improve the lives of themselves and their families. And I say, I'm all in on helping them do that. You know, you use such bad examples trying to make your point. You know, and we'll talk on the military one, Joseph. You know, you and I can't, even if we wanted to, form our own military. The military, highways, roads, public safety are something, are things that are obvious that need to be subsidized by all of us. I would make the case, and I'm sure I'm right, 
that education is not one of those. I The value is phenomenal. And my own very own college viability manifesto, the first thing it says is college is good. Do it if you can. It also says graduation rates are important. And too many colleges have four-year graduation rates below 50%. What are they doing in business? Why would I want to subsidize that? And to take the true Americana saying, as we wrap this topic up, of Chevrolet's hot dogs and apple pie, I'm willing to subsidize hot dogs, but I'm not willing to to subsidize (laughs) Chevrolet's and apple pie, Joseph. You pick them. Why should we be any different for education? I'll let you finish up this topic. You know, education is is about equality. And, um, you know, I'm talking equality with a capital E, not the politicized equality and, and, you know, discussion that we've gotten into now where people can't even communicate about it. But it is about social equality. You know, imagine a society where your future isn't dictated by your background or by your limitations. Extending education as a right is a powerful equalizer. I believe in that. It's not just about fairness. It's about giving, you know, everyone the chance to write their own success story, to write their own comeback story, if you will, no matter where they start from. And it may sound Pollyannish to some, but I believe in that. And ultimately, when it comes to diversity, I don't want to listen to a single note when I'm listening to a song. I want a full octave of notes. And uh, and that's what it's really about. And I think we can do it. I think we'll have a return on our investment beyond what we can imagine if we could just get behind this notion. And to our listeners, we're going to be adding more and more higher education news stories in the coming uh, College Counterpoints podcast. And again, these are done every Thursday and posted Thursday evenings usually because you know there are general topics like we've talked about, accreditation and free college for all, Joseph. But there's a lot of stories out there that I think can use yours and my approach to arguing both sides of what goes on. So to the listeners, we're going to be adding some combination of those and including those in in the future series of podcasts on college counterpoints. And the one we're going to start with this week is Western Oregon University. It came out earlier this week, or late last week, I guess it was. Western Oregon University, Joseph, won't award Ds and Fs. Let me read you the quote. Under a new policy that intends to increase retention rates, Western Oregon University will mark no credit for students who fail or get Ds or Fs, I guess, on a course. They'll have to retake failed courses to meet D requirements. I'm sorry, to meet degree degree requirements. But the no credit mark won't change grade part grade point averages. The university's provost parried concerns about grade inflation by saying standards are rising because students won't be able to pass classes with a D minus. Goodness gracious, Dr. Pellerito, help me out here. You know, at first I recoiled, but then I thought about it. I think it's an amazing idea. I think it's a great idea, Gary. And hear me out. Listen, students often are so myopic. They're so focused on grades. Am I, did I get a B? They want to argue this point, that point, a B plus, C minus. I say not only do away with D's and F's, but do away with grades altogether. And go to what many schools, leading edge schools have done, and medical schools, for example. Uh, Brown University did this decades ago. I believe MIT does it as well. I could be mistaken, but pass, fail. Look, there needs to be a minimum standard of competency that you need to demonstrate, either in your you know, conceptual ideas or actual return demonstration of competencies that I have to be able to do as a professional. Um, 
pass or fail. Get away from being so focused on grades, Bs, Cs, As, and let's get to the point of real learning. I think it's a great idea. The time has come. And as you and I shared before we started the podcast today, um, I, I commented on this on my This Week in College Viability News and Commentary. And I really, I took both sides, Joseph, and I don't do that often. But the questioning side of me wonders if Oregon Western University's approach is kind of a tuition and fee maintenance tactic. If I don't get a D or F, maybe I keep paying tuition longer. And really, Joseph, what percentage of students who get a D or F are academically capable of getting a higher grade the next time they take the course? That's a great question. Yeah, Gary, I, I think you're making actually another point in favor of this system. Look, students clearly, I look at their trajectory over time. They may have a life event that causes them to crash and burn and any given semester. And so I think for those students, especially when there's mitigating factors that can explain that dip in function, to give them that opportunity to recover from that. And so I'm not as cynical as you. Again, I don't think it's about necessarily economics. I think it's about, you know, um, giving students the opportunity to recover from, you know, maybe a downturn in their, their performance. At the end of the day, we want students to persist, right? I know we agree on that. We want students to be able to graduate from the programs that they start. It's really a shame, almost criminal, that there are so many students that aren't able to finish uh, for different reasons. And so um, I think this, this idea is a small but important step to say, look, it's about learning, and learning is important. This could help recalibrate our thinking in those terms. And and I'll wrap up this topic with something I've shared many times before, and that is delusion, Joseph, is a terrible disease and very (laughs) difficult to cure. And and you suggested that, you know, you're, you're, I think I'm paraphrasing what you said correctly, that it's, it's not good that everything is about economics. Joseph, everything is about economics in some form or fashion. There's no way around it. But as always, Dr. Joseph Pellerito, you make some great points. I hope with any luck, uh, I make as many as you today. I've got the score tied as four good points for me, four good points for you today. We'll see what that score looks like next week when we do the next episode of College Counterpoints. For Dr. Joseph Pellerito, I'm Gary Stocker. We'll look forward to coming back with our discussions for you next week on College Counterpoints.